Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. As we continue our verse by verse looking at the book of Ephesians, it's brought us this week to chapter 2 and verse 1. I'll pray, I'll read the word and then pray over it as we receive it today. It says there, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive uh, we thank you that it's active and we thank you that it is for us today. Lord, that you would open our eyes to the wonders of it and incline our ear to what you would say. Holy Spirit, that you translate to each heart the encouragement and the grace and peace that we need from you today. I thank you that you are well able to take the poverty of my remarks and translate to each heart as they need to hear and understand from you today their daily bread to lead them into this week. I thank you for your faithfulness to do that. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today in our study on Ephesians, we get to talk about uh, one of probably the most used Christian word or term, right? Saved. We get to talk about that word saved today. We hear those questions. Hey, are you saved? We got to get you saved. Am I saved? One thing one, I've been getting asked, how do I know that I'm saved? What am I saved from? Who am I saved by? What am I saved to? What am I saved for? Right? Because what if somebody walked up to you and just randomly said, I'm glad to see that you're safe. Matthew, I'm glad to see that you're safe. What would you say? What are you talking about? What do you know that I don't know, right? I'm not aware that I wasn't saved. What do you mean you're glad to see that I'm safe? I'm just glad to see that you're safe. You'd leave thinking about that, wouldn't you? And so when we we hear this, you know, we, we wonder what all does it mean? And thankfully, Scripture is here today to tell us what it means. This section of Ephesians is an explanation on what it means to be saved. It is both a simple summary and it's so deep that we could teach on it and read on it and study on it and worship over it for the rest of our natural lives. It's a vivid picture of what we were by our nature and what we can become by the grace of God. And so it starts out, what were we By nature, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses 
and sins. Dead. Dead. Graveyard dead. No breath, no life. Deceased. Alienated from any life, right? Separated from life. No strength, no energy. Dead. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Those are two different words. One of them means to cross the line. And the other one means to miss the mark. So the things that we did on purpose and then the things we tried to do right and still did wrong. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And so what does someone do who is dead in their trespasses and sins? And it tells us in which you previously lived, verse two, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, verse three, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and our thoughts. So what, what do those people who are dead in sins and trespasses where we were, what did they do? What did we do? We walk according to the course of the world, according to the prince or the ruler of the power of the air and the inclinations and the desires of our flesh. Those are the things that we're influenced by. Those are the things that affect and uh, control, control our attitude. Our attitude is the way we think and feel about everything. This is what we are led around by. So let's look over those. It says you walked according to the course or the ways of this world. I was reading this weekend um, and one of the lines in the book said, have good and thoughtful people ever been more depressed about the human predicament? It was a theologian writing. He said, have have good and thoughtful people ever been more depressed about the human predicament? I mean, has it ever been any worse than this? Because he's looking at everything going, I don't think it could get any worse than this. This is the worst it's ever been. And that was written in 1979. (laughs) Thankfully, he's not alive to see things today. What is it? The course of the world. What is in the world? Sin is in the world. The wages of sin are death. That's the only thing that sin can work. The course of the world is continuing to march towards death and destruction by means of sin as fast as it can get there. And we shouldn't be surprised when we see it. It's when people tend not to have a conscience at all, except for that which comes from culture, a culture that is alienated from the ways of God by its nature and by its choice. A society that's organized apart from him. He said, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we walked according to the course of the world. This worldliness that we read about in chapter one that must be brought under the rulership of Jesus Christ. That's chapter one, verse 10. Fallen man, that's part of their in a fallen society. You see those types of predicaments. He's like, that's part of what you walked in. That's part of what you were influenced by a fallen society. But then it was more than that. He said, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air, depending on the translation you're looking at. Remember, I'm in the CSB. If you want to sync up with me. It said, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We talked about last week when we were in chapter one, verse 20, that we are not the only created beings and we are not the only ones to rebel. We're not the only 
rebels. So when you see this, the ruler of the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air, it's not an advertisement for an airline. It's not. What's it talking about? It's talking about the ruler and the commander, literally, of the forces that were mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21, when it says Jesus was raised from the dead and seated in a position of authority at the right hand of God the Father. Verse 21, far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And the hearers of this letter in Ephesus would have had an understanding that there was a physical realm that we can see and we can touch. And then there's also an unseen realm or a spiritual realm that we can't see and that we can't touch, but is as close as the these beings. You notice even some of our language will say we were talking about it yesterday. Do you just want me to pull that out of thin air? Or he vanished into thin air. I don't know why we call it thin air. Maybe just means that. I can't just pull it out of the air, but I want to be more specific. I can't pull it out of thin air. There's not even anything in there. But there is a world around us that we cannot see, but that we are nevertheless affected by this darkness that is opposed to the light. I was asked just this last week, somebody, you know, when you're a preacher, somebody can get you cornered and they won't ask you all their questions, which I'm usually ready for, especially if they're asking them in good conscience. I'm always ready for that. And I got asked, do you believe in spirits? And I said, you're going to have to be more specific. They said, do you believe that our dead relatives can come back and they can appear to us and they can talk to us? And I said, no. Well, what about when people say that that has happened? Do you believe that that's demons? Yes, that's what I believe that those are. I don't believe that the dead come back. I believe that these unclean spirits will appear to us in ways that would be easier for them to want to communicate with us. And they said, well, should we talk to them if that happens? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because scripture forbids it. It's not anything good for us because their will for our life is not a good will for our life. But nevertheless, they do exist and they do affect our experience. These unclean spirits. It says this spirit, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the air, the one in charge of the darkness is the spirit now at work in the disobedient. That's the spirit now at work in the disobedient. His attitude is, I don't need you, God Almighty. I can be you. I will replace you. And when we're disobedient, what else are we saying? When we're sinning, what else are we saying other than I don't need your good and right declared order for my life. I will decide what's best for me. I will set the boundaries for myself. I will determine how I will live this life. It's the spirit now at work in the disobedient, which reminds me that there's a spirit at work in you. Which one is it? Which spirit is at work on the inside of you? What's what's driving you? What's leading you? Paul says, if we're led by the spirit of God, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Guess what happens when you walk with the other one? You walk in the lusts of the flesh. 
Paul also said in Philippians for the believer that it is God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure or to give you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. There's a there's a huge difference when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He wasn't at work in us. We were worked in by the one who works within the sons of disobedience. The spirit now at work in them, the prince of the power of the air. You think about it, even in our cartoons, going back as far as I can remember, you, you have the imagery of what? An angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other one, right? An angel on one and a devil on the other, both saying, here's what you need to do. Here, no, no, no. Here's what you need to do. And, and that's, you know, a funny representation but it's also very accurate of the way we can live our life. There are competing voices. There are competing mindsets, competing ideologies, and we get to choose who we listen to. And when they are in competition with one another, we can only pick one. And again, when we're dead in our sins and trespasses, we could only pick the bad one. We couldn't even hear the good for the sake of the evil. We are under an influence even as believers, which one is it? But when we were in the world, we were only under the influence. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we lived according to the course of the world. We lived according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. And verse three, so we've seen cultural, spiritual, and then it drives it down to personal, like my, my absolute personal level. Verse three, we too also previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. It's how we're wired. Every mother's child comes here knowing how to be bad without ever reading it in a book. Every single one. Why? Because they're being led by the inclinations of their flesh and their thoughts. We had an interesting experience this last week. As an example of this, Luke found out he was going to be out of school on last Tuesday early. He's like, why am I getting out of school early? For parent-teacher conference. And he didn't think anything else about it. And then later on, he asked, he said... So I'm getting out of school early for parent-teacher conference. What is parent-teacher conference? And Kelly told him, she said, that's when your teacher is going to call me and tell me how you've been doing in class, how you've been learning, how you've been acting, behaving, how you've been doing with others, all the things, how you've been doing in class. And he said, (laughs) and then he had a lot of questions. Well, like, but what all are y'all going to talk about? Like, what, how far back does this go? Like, how long is she going to, like, how much is she going to cover? And then she he got very interested asking questions. And then once he figured out what it was, then he started making confessions. He said, well, I need to tell you something. I got sent to the office. She said, you got sent to the office? Why did you get sent to the office? He said, A Lego hit me in the brain, (laughs) hit him in the head, and I tore up a crayon box. (laughs) You tore up a crayon box? 
Yeah. Why'd you tear up a crayon box? Because I was mad because the Lego hit me in the brain. And you had to go to the office. Well, what else happened in the I just had to go in there and sit for a while. And he goes through many more stories. He was like, I wasn't aware that this was going to be reported on. I thought I got past this. But, but what, what his teacher, well, she was very kind to Luke in, in her report on him. And she said, at first, he had difficulty expressing his frustrations. I was like, well, that could be definitive for so many, me and everybody else. But I was like, what a good definition. He had difficulty expressing his frustrations and he was choosing to do it. What? According to his flesh, according to his thoughts, according to the best thing he had available to him, which is I'm mad. I'm going to do something that mad people do. Right. Walking according to the inclinations and the thoughts of his flesh, carrying about those, carrying out those desires, those fleshly desires. And a quick clarification, just because something's a desire of your flesh doesn't necessarily mean that it's evil. We have plenty of good ones, right? We have a desire for food and for drink and for community and for relationship. And those can be and are good desires unless they're either made ultimate or they're given unchecked control over our life. And then it can work evil and death in us. And obviously some, uh, many desires that we have aren't good for us in any measure to be you know, pursued, right? And that's what culture and society would tell you is that your best self is going to be you fully exploring and fully engaging all of the desires that you have. What a foolish thing to say. We've got enough data to prove that that's not right. And yet we continue to pitch it in culture. What normally it's for advertising. Normally they're trying to sell you something. Normally they're trying to get you to align with their ideology and they're taking advantage of the fact that you are led around by your appetites and your inclinations. And they want to tell you that's right so that you'll do more of that. But these things, as it goes down through this in chapter two, give us a vivid picture of what we were before Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and Sins Subject to these other influences, dead in our trespasses and sins means we, we couldn't just learn better. We didn't need to just be taught a little bit any more than you would go to the cemetery and set up a tent and do a seminar on nutrition and exercise. Right. You wouldn't do that. Like, all right, listen, y'all, I know you've been having a tough time. But if I can just talk to you about your caloric intake and exercise, but you know, you're not going to do that. Why? Because they're dead. They're dead. Just learning a little bit better isn't going to help them. When you're dead in your trespasses and your sins, the only thing that would help would be being made alive. And we were all, he said all, we were all this Way. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all rebels and failures before God Almighty. But God. But God in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, verse 5, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead 
in trespasses. You are saved by grace. We were dead according to all those things. We couldn't do anything. We talked about that last week, right? What do we fear most? Death and evil. What can we do the least about? Death and evil. We can delay it. We can't prevent it. He reversed it and transcended it in Christ and made that available to us. He made us alive even though we were dead. It says you've been saved by grace. That's unmerited favor. That's favor that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn, but was yours anyway. And he did this, verse 6. He also raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him, Christ, in the heavens in Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He did this so he could display what? How awesome you are? What a good job you've done? All the good decisions you've made? No. He did this so he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace... Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. That's that idea of grace. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift from God, God. which means it's everyone is eligible. Because it's a gift from him, not from works, not from something that you did so that no one can boast or no one can glory in themselves. So that no one can glory in themselves. Christianity is a works-based religion. It's just based on the work of Jesus Christ. Not my works and not your works. That's the basis of all that we believe. That's the foundation of what we believe as Christians. As many times as I get a chance for the rest of my life, I will preach that message. Because that's the one that sets us free. That's the power of God unto salvation. That is the good news. So when we're, when we're using this word, it's saved, right? Because it's in here and we use it all the time. I was asked another question this week. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you're good? And this came up from a conversation. Somebody, it was at work, somebody popped off and said something about, you know, unless Jesus comes back this weekend, I was like, he can come on. They were talking about all the things going on in the world, right? We've got a lot of things going on in the world. I said, he can come on. I'm ready. Let's go. And they said, Stephen, how can you, how can you say that? How can you say that? Like, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm. I'm not, and they weren't talking about, I'm not, there was just some conflict there, right? And some of it was because they were a little, I said, how old are you? 26. All right. By the time you get my age, you're going to be over that. Right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. I, I, I said, I'm not ready to die. Like if you said, Stephen, are you ready to die today? I said, well, I'm, I, w- I will, <laughs> but I'm not getting in line for it. If there's another line to get in. I'm not talking about dying. You said Jesus coming back, right? That's all of us going. I'm not wanting, you know, I I don't want to leave, you know, these behind. But if we're all going, I mean, if the church is going home, let's go home. I said, I don't know if you have a full enough realization of what it means to go home. 
I think you have underestimated what it means to be in Christ for all of eternity. I could tell you about it for a few minutes. And they said, yeah, you're probably right. But then another person said, but I, I got a question. So you say that like, you know, like you're right. Like if Jesus came back today, you're not worried. Like you're not concerned. How do you know that you're good? How do you know that you're saved? It's an important question, right? People ask themselves that all the time. People will spend a lot of their life in fear and anxiety over that question. And so my response was, because I've been right here. I've been studying this. Like, you got good timing because I'm ready. Do you believe that you fit these criteria at the first of chapter two? That you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, walking according to the course of the world, under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, giving into your fleshly inclinations and thoughts and following about its desires? Do you believe that you landed in that category? Amen. And do you believe that Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for that sin and to make you who were dead in your sins and trespasses alive in him? Well, yes, I believe that. Amen. That's the list. Because it says I was saved by grace through faith and not of my works, lest anybody could say they did anything to bring it about. That's the list. That's the whole list. Well, but I mean, well, how often do I have to pray? No. How often do I have to go to church? No. How often do I have to do good things for people? No. How much do I have to give? No. Those aren't on the list. Did you repent of your sins and believe in Christ Jesus for your righteousness? Or are you standing on your own righteousness? Which one? One or the other. It's A or B. That's all you get to choose from. And if you've chosen Christ, then you're good. You live or die. You are. When you say, how do I know that I'm good? If you've chosen Christ and you know that you're alive in him instead of dead in your trespasses and sins, then you are good. And anybody who tells you to add anything else to that is trying to modify your behavior using fear. When they tell you, you have, well, yes, yes, you have to do that. But then you also have to do this and this and this or you're not. No. And that's why I'll preach it the rest of my days, because I've seen what it looks like for people to be in bondage to that. And I've seen what it looks like for people to be free. And you might say, well, if you preach it that way, then people are going to think they can just go do whatever they want. Some people are going to think that. But I'm not going to preach legalism instead. I refuse to preach legalism because some people are going to use grace as a license to sin. As I say, well, they're going to drink poison. Well, I'm going to give them this other poison instead. Maybe it'll kill them faster. I was given um, after I preached one time, somebody who was trying to help me as I was a younger preacher. They gave me a little worksheet, like a little self-evaluation to fill out. And one of the things on it, it was, was like on a scale of, you know, legalism to licentiousness. Where do you think this message fell? Was it leaning closer to legalism or was it leaning closer towards licentiousness or just meaning that people can think they can do whatever they want? Both of them are ditches on the sides of the road. And I was looking at it and going, I sure don't want to ever be on this left hand side. 
If I if I'm telling you something that you ought to do in your life, I don't want you to ever think it's tied to whether or not you're good. Because this is the list. God, rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive even though we were dead. Romans says when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He made us alive even though we were dead. You are saved by grace. He took that death and gave you life. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. It's by grace, unmerited favor and not of works. I stand in his righteousness and not my own. I stand in his name before God Almighty and not my own. If it come, if it's the last day and I don't know what that looks like, the sky rips open and he appears to me personally and he says, why do you get to come up here? Why do you get to come home? The only answer is Jesus. Because anything else, I'm going to fall short. Anything else, I'm going to fall short. How can I know? That's how you can know. That's how you can know. Well, is that all that there is? Right? So we just go out and we'll just get people to sign the card and here we go. Is that all that there is? It's kind of like the infomercial, right? But wait, there's more. Not more that you have to do to get to go home, to be ready, to be good. But this same God, who's rich in mercy, who exercised this great love for us in Christ, making us alive even though we were dead, who saved us, raised to seat us in the heavens with Christ. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in the same mess as we were in in verses 1 through uh, 3. He doesn't leave us. Well, all right, well, I'll see you in a few years. Walk according to the course of the world. Be under the subject of the prince of the power of the air and be controlled by your fleshly desires. Thankfully, not only does he make a way for us to go home, but he also sets us free from those things that we were held in bondage to. So that we can walk in newness of life. A new life in Christ. The gospel, the good news, you being saved is past, you were saved, present, you are saved, and future, you will be in Him saved. And each one of those spots, He sets us free. At the beginning, He set us free from the punishment of our sin. At this point, we've been set free from the power of sin in our life. I don't have to, I don't have to give in to it. I don't have to be a slave to it anymore. It doesn't have that power over me lest I give it back. And then he will and is faithful to deliver me from the very presence of it at the end of all things. Past, present, and future. He sets me free from the punishment of it, the power of it. And then eventually, even the presence of it. So when you ask questions like, well, do I have, does that mean I have to go to church? No, you don't have to. You get to. Does that mean I have to pray? You were dead and he made you alive. I think you want to talk to him. I think you might want to hear what he has to say. I can walk in this newness of life 
And more and more, the more I learn about him and find out about him, the more free I get from the things that used to hold me down and the more joy and hope I have for tomorrow. I don't have to do any of that. But why, if you've been made alive, would you go back and lay down in the graveyard every day? Why would you just go lay amongst them like, well, this is what I'm used to. When he's made us alive, I get to, you get to, as one of the ones who this has happened to, one of the ones who has been saved, you are now a part of what Christ is doing in the earth. All this in Christ. You're you're in Christ. You're seated with Christ. You're included with Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are now included in what he's doing on the earth. You get to see with your own eyes him take back ground. One soul at a time, one life at a time, one household at a time, one community at a time. You get to be a part of that. I get to see it carried out in the whole earth. Look at verse 10. Because remember it said, it's not from works that we're saved so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I used to be a child under wrath. Right. God's right and just and holy and fitting punishment on evil. I've been set free from that. I've been adopted into his family. I used to be a child under wrath. Now I'm a child of the kingdom of God. Again, why would I go back and lay down amongst the dead? Remember when they went to go find they, they went to the tomb of Jesus and there was an angel there. And he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? When when your heart has been enlightened, like we read about in chapter one, you start to see, I've been looking for life in dead places. I found life from him. Why would I continue to walk around in the dead places? You learn better in Christ. I can walk in this newness of life. I was in darkness. Now I'm in the light. I want the light to be everywhere. I want to be everywhere where the light is. I want to see the world redeemed. I want to see the enemy defeated. I want to see the flesh put under rulership of the right spirit. I want to see each one of those things that he told me were the problem in my life and in all the sons of disobedience. I want to see those things turned around. Do I have to do it so that I can go home? No. But I get to do it so that somebody else can go home. I get to be a part of it so that somebody else can go home. So they don't have to stay dead in their trespasses and in their sins. That Even when when they come to salvation, that they don't have to walk in the same ways that they used to walk because something new has been made available to them. The question, how do you know, Stephen, how do you know that you're good? How do you know that you're saved? Because he is good. Because he is good. He knew I wasn't. And he came to be good for me. And I put my, again, Bible word, faith in that. I put my faith in that. And then 
Again, I'm good. You can't, you can't go to this scripture and teach me anything else. You can't teach me anything else without ignoring this. Because it says it's not out of anything that I did. But it's everything that he did. How do you know that you're good? He's good. Now stop being afraid and go walk about in that newness of life. Go walk about in the freedom that that brings. So many people get tired of, well, I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm good. And you're not even in the game you're supposed to be in. You're not in the battle you're supposed to be in. You're not in the place you're supposed to be in because you're still worried whether or not you're good. You're still worried about yourself. He's taking care of you. Now we get to go and shine that light into everywhere that we go. It frustrates me. We had growing up. People would get saved. And then if they felt any inkling of anything towards something further in the kingdom of God, well, you're going to have to surrender to preach, brother. That should be what we all feel. I want to know more about the one who has done this for me. I want to walk with him more closely and I want to take this light into every area that I'm in, not just here in the church, but in my family, in my job, where I am in the community. Everything that I touch, I want it to be affected by somebody being in there who is sealed of the Holy Spirit, who has an inheritance in the saints. And who has authority just like Christ does over the prince of the power of the air. Working in the sons of disobedience. I want to see that broken in the lives of people. And it's only done by us going out and being the light that he has created us to be. You see that? He said he has, uh, we were created in Christ Because remember, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have been created new. It's because we used to be dead and now we're alive. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You have in you a bright light. And we're surrounded by dark places. Carry that light into the darkness. And people are going to begin to ask you questions. When things are going on, when things get tough, they're going to say, how do you know that you're good? It's like, that's the thing. I knew I wasn't good. I had to first know that I wasn't. Then I found out that he was. That was the gospel of truth that I heard and that I believed. And that's when everything changed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't hide the truth from us. That you are very clear and very explicit. We were dead without you. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Again, some of those lines we crossed on purpose. Other ones we tried to do right and we, we just couldn't hit it. We just couldn't hit right. We knew that we knew it was out there. We knew there was a way we ought to be, but we just couldn't get there. And we were in the bondage of that insufficiency. I thank you for the good news that Christ came, that even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you with your immeasurable power, your richness of mercy and your great love with which you loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Even though we were dead, 
Thank you that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith and not of works so that no one can boast and glory in themselves. And Lord, so that no one, no one can be excluded from the family of God if they would just believe in Christ and what he's done. Father, I thank you for the freedom that we find in that. And I thank you that it ignites in us a hope that drives us forward further into your kingdom, further into the things of you that we would pray over ourselves. What Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus that, yes, you are a believer. You're you're blood bought. You're a child of God. Now, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you can see what is the hope of his calling. What is his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is his immeasurable power that is directed towards you who believe that he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand far above principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. I thank you for what we get to take part in. God, I thank you that you're going to minister to us by your Holy Spirit to press in, press into who you are, press into what you're doing. That you are where we find our identity. You are where we find our hope. You are where we find our joy. You've already made it available. I thank you that we won't live saved like we used to live in the flesh. Because you've set us free from that. To walk under a better and a good master. And again, if you're far from him or anyone you're talking to is far from him, this is the list. Are you dead in your trespasses and sins? Well, I've got good news. God, who's rich in mercy, has loved you with an everlasting love, and he'll make you alive in Christ Jesus. He'll take your sin and give you his righteousness. He'll take your death and give you his life. The Son sets us free. I thank you, Lord, that we'll walk in that freedom. As we get ready to go today, I thank you that we walk in peace and unity with one another, that our eyes are open and our ears are listening. And our hearts are ready to give an answer for the hope that's on the inside of us. I thank you that you will open our eyes up where we can see more clearly of what life, this life, is really all about. There are things that we have to do in this life that we just have to get done. But I thank you, Lord, that there, there is a higher meaning and purpose to our life in Christ than we've yet realized. And I thank you that you are revealing that to us as we pursue you in Christ Jesus. Lord, protect us as we go. Heal those who are sick among us or out from us, sick and ill in their bodies. I thank you that you strengthen them and encourage them. Lord, for those that are working this week, I thank you that they would do so to your glory. That there'd be something different about us because of who we belong to. Father, I thank you that any other we have traveling, you bring them safely back to us in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you above all for Christ Jesus who made us alive even though we were dead. And I thank you that we shake off those, all the things that went along with that dead man, all the things that went along with that dead woman, that they're not a part of us anymore because we've been raised to walk in newness of life. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.